Thanks for tuning in to the Dynasty Movement podcast. My name's Tan. I'm filling in as host today. We've got a great guest in Travis May, most famously of Rotoviz. Glad to be here, man. It's just uh, uh, anytime I can talk some football and uh, my process and uh, you know hang out with you and talk about Josh Palmer I'm, I'm down so <laughs> thanks for having me and just uh, ready to talk some football but yeah I've been here I guess Rotoviz a couple years I was with Dynasty League football before that um, did some uh, fantasy stuff with fan, uh, the fantasy authority is my first gig uh, was doing some Titans and Falcons beat stuff for last word on sports and uh, Music City Miracles that was under SB Nation at the time and so I, I kind of centralized it because I was doing too many things, too many places. And so now it's just mainly Rotovis. But yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, inviting me. Yeah, sounds good. So your your background's pretty broad. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and like what you think your niche is in kind of the FF industry, if that makes sense? Yeah, sure. I think what I've become um, is I'm like the college football guy, you know, like I'm, I'm everything uh, Debbie fantasy football. Uh, so uh, where you can roster college players on your teams before they're in the NFL, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I didn't really initially try to, to get that way, uh, but I just am so passionate about college football, and I've uh, been playing Debbie leagues for quite some time, been playing college fantasy leagues for quite some time, and so that's an area that's always been underserved content-wise. And so I just I was like, man, everybody is kind of talking about the same uh, core columns for all the weekly stuff. I don't want to just create all this content that's already there. I was like, you know, I could just dig as deep as I possibly can with college content and and pr like prospect analysis. You know, the prospect, uh, basically the journey from early recruiting to uh, to all the way to the NFL draft. And you know, I made the the show the College to Canton podcast, which is on Road of His Radio, uh, just about that journey from recruit to college player to the NFL draft through their NFL career all the way to the Hall of Fame, just kind of like what builds a Hall of Fame player uh, from the ground up. And so that's kind of where I fit. Uh, it's it's that really early recruiting to prospecting to Debbie college side. That's where I get most of my questions is all things rookie analysis because everybody wants the, the best rookie to kind of pop. Even if they play in redraft leagues, they're asking me questions just about that when it comes to uh, – their draft day, but especially year round, I get questions on different Debbie prospects from people that love to nerd out with this stuff as much as I do. Yeah, that's awesome. So just kind of just for my own curiosity, um, is Campus to Canton, that's your like podcast. Is that all, are you also involved with the site that's kind of come up around that as well? If I've heard about like, and, no, and so, the league um, format as well, I guess. Sure. Yeah. And it's actually my, and my podcast is actually college to Canton, but oh, uh, okay. yeah, they, they, yeah. So I, I, I started that, um, I guess it was last, I guess, June of 2020. That was, and it's my third podcast. I was, I did the Dynasty Command Center podcast with Curtis Patrick uh, for about a year. Um, actually, it was actually more like a year and a half, but we did about 50-ish episodes. And before that, I did the Dynasty Life podcast, which I uh, did that for a few years with uh, Justin McIsland and Andrew Frechette. Uh, both of whom no longer really necessarily uh, contribute uh, within the fantasy football space, but we all did some things with the Fantasy Authority back in the day. Uh, but yeah, so it's no, it's not affiliated with the Campus to Canton site, but I do, I've actually had a few of their, uh, their co-owners on the show just because I want to promote anything like that. A any kind of 
college fantasy and Debbie fantasy, college to Canton league fantasy. Uh, I, I love to see that grow. And so I'm always about promoting others work that are doing stuff within the same nerdy space that I am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just kind of stepping back into your background, what do you like? You were a Titans beat reporter. I, I understand it. So, what kind of takeaways do you think from, do you have from that as an overall, like, in terms of like shaping your fantasy analysis or just being a CFP and NFL writer? Yeah, you know, it was funny. Like, I think I, I don't know, maybe six years ago, for the first time, I, I just started because I realized no one's charting these practices, like actual player participation and all this stuff that people really want to know. A lot of times beat reporters just kind of covered uh, very vanilla or things that they thought would, you know, interest the average fan. But like for the, the nerds and fantasy, like they want to know, Hey, is the wide, who's the wide receiver three for the Falcons or Hey, who's the wide receiver for who's the wide receiver three for the Titans or who's the, you know, the running back two for the Titans, who's the handcuff here? You know, what, what the, the really key information that just gets left out like is this person actually with the ones or did the beat writer just see him on a couple occasions with the ones so i really took a deep dive i think back in 20 uh 2014 for the first time and i started basically charting every single uh seven on seven and full 11s rep uh, and then i even did some more in, in depth like end zone one-on-one drills and stuff and uh eventually did some work with music city miracles actually writing up uh, specific charting data from practices, not like actual play design stuff that the, the team wouldn't want me to show, but who's actually playing with who, who's actually making plays, who's doing what. So it's it's not just these fluff pieces and pictures and just simple stuff. Uh, so I was like, I wanted to fill that void, and that led to opportunities uh, covering the Titans uh, for a couple of different places, which was fun. Uh, did it briefly just for. Uh, part of the summer doing some Falcon stuff too, but it, it, being up in Middle Tennessee, I couldn't always get down to Falcons practice and Titans practice and things like that. So I was I was biting off way too much uh, a few years ago doing that. But but I, I think that I don't know. It, it, it's more so that my fantasy side kind of informed how I uh, approached uh, covering any team <laughs> rather than the other way around. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so do you kind of like so you kind of charted a lot of those plays? Do you kind of, do you consider yourself like a film first analyst or a data first analyst if you if you had to pick one? Um, if I had to pick one, um, I would say that within fantasy football, it's more data driven. Uh, early on, I think it was more film, um, but as I kind of furthered uh, my education I, and finished my MBA and, and dug into some business analytics and data analytics throughout that process, uh, I was able to kind of fill in. And then I realized, man, um, stuff I thought that was right or actually was sticky and or applicable in fantasy, uh, I can't really measure as much as I'd like to um, from a film standpoint. So I'm a very stats-driven person. I always have been. But uh, really applying that to this game uh, is so much fun. I mean, like, I'm sure you do the same. I just... I, I, I'm sure when I go to bed at night, I, I see like lines of spreadsheets and <laughs> I, I, so that, that's, that's, that's where I am. But I think my data friends think I'm a film guy and my film friends think I'm a data guy. Like that's cause I, you have to use both. I think that's definitely a good place to be in terms of like relative to like the data crowd or to the film crowd, right? Like you don't want to be too far up one side that you're ignoring the other side altogether. 
Yeah. And I love learning from people who are more of an expert in, in either regard, you know, like than I am. Cause I, frankly, I'm, I didn't play in the NFL for 12 years and I don't understand all the, the ins and outs. Like I know some people do, you know, and, and, and I don't know how to easily and quickly write the perfect code in R to, to uh, find the uh, R squared value for in an, you know, any independent variable that I want, like that, not, you know, I have to learn from other people just, and I think that's huge, um, just in general with all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's kind of move into like general fantasy questions. Um, sure. how many fantasy leagues are you in like right now? Dynasty, redraft, best ball, otherwise. Yeah. So by the fall, including college fantasy leagues and everything, it'll be, you know, 20 something, uh, used to be more, uh, but I, I, uh, had to keep shedding it cause I just, I did, I felt like I, it was a, I was doing leagues a disservice by not being active enough in certain spots. Yeah, absolutely. So 20 is a heck of a lot. Like that's, that's like a true professional's kind of number right there. What kind of advice do you have for managing a large number of them? Um, spreadsheets, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I have to, I have like a different spreadsheet for each league. Uh, and then some that track, uh, just my debut leagues, some that track just my college to Canton leagues to track exposures, to track league mate ten tendencies, to track uh, all upcoming drafts and uh, everything like that. You have to have it kind of centralized somewhere. Uh, otherwise, you just kind of forget <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, make mistakes. Yeah, it's it's so easy. And honestly, like even like, you know, I topped out at like 10 something and I was like, I'm I'm like not as good a lead mate as I used to be, you know, like I started out right. like tracking every single players and every single like trade offer and like this person, like this person, like, you know, doing all of that stuff. And as you get into so many more, it, it kind of, the game kind of changes, you know, like you stop really, really paying does. attention that way. Yeah. So in that sense, do you think it's more important to be confident on like a player level evaluation or like overall team building and structure, like age and so on? Like, is that, is it more important to get the players right or the structure right in fantasy football? Uh, so within, I think the players right from a micro standpoint, week to week standpoint, but if you're playing dynasty fantasy football or Debbie fantasy football or college to Canton, uh, something like that, it's, it's going to be. Uh, structure is super important uh, in terms of maintaining, uh, you know, longevity of competitiveness and, and being able to feed new players into your roster and understanding hit rates um, at every level, like understanding, um, you know, the hit rates within a certain position and uh, position groups and how they differ if, you, if you're into college and Debbie hit rates and uh, even understanding like how often players uh, hit at a certain position uh, and a certain recruiting pedigree and it from a certain conference like you can get really down to the nitty-gritty and, and how you build your team so it's kind of kind of both uh, but week to week it, it's very very much so uh, player oriented and matchup based stuff I mean like if you I, I do a college DFS um, column every every year for Rotoviz and so I'm building a projections model every single week uh, based on a half dozen different independent variables that I kind of uh, standardize and scale into a projection. And so that, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I treat my NFL side rosters too. Uh, so week to week it's players, but really the structure and how you uh, organize your team uh, for all things dynasty and beyond, that's way more important than just the week to week stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. So kind of in that sense, what what what's your if you were doing a super flex startup today in like you know, um in 2021 kind of nowish, what what kind of strategy would you be like implementing or trying to follow at this point? Like what kind of like things would you be thinking about? Uh just like within any given like specific format, like a super flex league, just like a yeah, just a generic Superflex league, like um, kind of standard dynasty, like non-desert. standard dynasty. Yeah, yeah. So I used to, um, I don't know. I, I used to kind of lean away from all the premiums. So I'd end up with like, for example, one of my most successful teams, uh, and I'm leaning away from this now. But I started off with, I think, back in 2016, my quarterbacks were like Kirk Cousins and Eli Manning, and and that was great. I, I was able to stack the early rounds and I won the, the championship in the first year. Uh, but very quickly, I, I got down to the fact that Eli Manning was absolute just garbage at, at the position and down the stretch. And that really hurt me. Like come year three, year four. Uh, now I still made the playoffs limped in, but uh, I really had to make some trades and, and, and change my whole team and then get lucky on top of that and, and getting uh, basically a trade up in the rookie draft to where I was able to take Jalen Hurts, like pick 32 in a super flex league. Uh, took some very fortunate bounces for me to get back to the championship this last year. And so I've really shifted to uh, embracing uh, the uh, younger quarterback and investing in that in the first couple rounds because the volatility of every other position uh, really really just messes you up once you're beyond just year one year two kind of thing i know quarterbacks stick around longer than ever these days but that's another reason why you get a young guy and you're set for a long time and then you can fill in the gaps i used to just be like no i want to win now and only win now <laughs> and that's fun uh but i found you can do that by just trading away um like your future rookie first for an actual playing running back or wide receiver and fill in those gaps as you go in that same league, I actually haven't picked before uh, before pick 20 ever in a rookie draft. I've just constantly traded my first away for a good player uh, that can help build my team. So I am not afraid to just constantly go for the win now mode. But that begins now in Superflex leagues, going like quarterback, quarterback almost every time um, just because I want to build the foundation and then build around that rather than trying to get a few lucky bounces <laughs> yeah, uh, long, long, uh, long term. Cause once you get into year six, man, uh, you, your whole roster has gone. It's all turned over. So you got to plan for the future. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of along the same lines, um, Rotoviz is notoriously, well, not notorious is famous for, <laughs> um, being like the zero RB group and kind of, mm -hmm. is it, is that like mostly tied around in your opinion to like, receivers being more durable and like you know overall less fragile like i know this is more sh question for sean but um kind of what's what's your take on it and you know have you implemented much of zero rb yeah so um i definitely within the redraft contract just yearly leagues that's very much so what it's about and understanding that uh just the 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 intensity and the injuries and everything that happens within an NFL season if you play it right you can eventually actually fill out your roster and get it right come playoff time with a a roster that is structured via zero RB but I, I think some people misconstrue what zero RB really means or you know just kind of make fun of it or over exaggerate what it means and um, 
the application, like what 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 do you what do we even call zero RB? Is it like you don't take it before any running back by five? Is it round seven? Is it round round nine? Like it, it, there's I've seen so many different applications and how that's worked out. Um, whereas I don't always I'm I'm just not comfortable necessarily going full zero RB. Um, I, I'm more of like a one running back and then fill in the the running back two slot uh, as I can. Uh, but I know Sean Siegel. Uh, has held to that and and when he can when he's not playing with a whole bunch of other super sharp zero rb application type owners or managers um he he will still stick to that um but i i myself haven't uh, gotten the guts to do the, do that very often but i do uh, prioritize the wide receiver position especially in dynasty leagues because of the fact that they do typically hold on to their average draft position in startups and and overall dynasty value longer uh, especially in the past five years or so we're just seeing the shelf life for these guys basically drop off after one one contract and then maybe one year into their second contract even if they do get a good second contract so uh if you look at it doesn't take too long to just look at older average draft position data to realize that holy cow uh, the running backs cycle out so quickly uh, so I, i've definitely shifted i used to go super running back heavy just to go win now but uh you know that's a quick way to have a, a pretty vacant roster <laughs> by uh year three or four yeah absolutely um shifting gears a bit so if you're playing in a dream fantasy league and you're kind of coming up with all of the rules what 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 kind of what would it look like in terms of like composition scoring what kind of like league premiums or stuff would you have in yeah. a perfect league and a perfect league the perfect league hmm. The perfect league, uh, for those of you listening that have not played in a college to Canton league or campus to Canton, whatever you want to call it, C2C league, uh, that's basically where you have two parallel leagues running side by side, college side and an NFL side. Uh, I would do that and basically have probably at least 45, probably like 50 on the college side. Um, and then uh, at least, you know, 40 on the NFL side. Um, uh, something like that, and then have it pretty uh, pretty balanced scoring with uh, running backs uh, like tiered score like tiered scoring for VPR going running backs wide receivers tight ends like uh, 0.5 one and one and a half something like that. But having a, a full college side with and here's the here's the the kicker with this on the college side, essentially no waivers, like basically making it to where you can't just. Uh, draft and then like completely redo your team which is a lot of well in college fantasy people do that all the time like they'll they'll draft one position only and have a really weird strategy and then like just rebuild their whole roster by week three in college fantasy you can do that because of the depth and breadth of college football and the fact that there's 130 teams versus just 32 teams in in the fbs so uh really emphasizes the importance of drafting correctly on the college side when you do it that way um, and drafting in a balanced way when you do that as well. And so almost treating the college side roster as a Devi uh, roster, a developmental roster that feeds into your NFL team. So as soon as those guys graduate or declare early on the college side, they're automatically on your NFL side. That's my favorite kind of format to play. Uh, I'm in four leagues like that, and then I'm in uh, one super deep Devi league that we already have 1600 plus players drafted and it doesn't start till next year. Wow. Uh, that's another one. That's uh, a little fun uh, funky, but uh, the weirdest Debbie league of all time, uh, by the, the start of the 2022 season, we will have drafted over 2000 players. So 
Yeah. Wait, so it's a Devi league that hasn't started yet? Or is there like mm -hmm. actively NFL like going on at the same time? No, no scoring. We started last year with a hundred rounds of college uh, and six <laughs> rounds of NFL. This year we drafted another 25 rounds of college and another six rounds of NFL. Uh, two of which were rookies for veterans. Next year we'll have another 25 rounds college, six rounds NFL, two of which will be rookie picks. And that's the value is really gross with those rookies, by the way. And oh yeah, and it's full individual defensive player scoring too, like full IDP. Uh, so you have like 22 total starters, 11 offense, 11 defense. It's the most insane thing ever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that. Wow. Okay, hang on. I'm I'm a little bubbled. Give me one second here. <laughs> And not only that, you can draft anybody. Like, when I say anybody, I mean anybody. Like, if you wanted to stake your claim to your unborn second son and say, I, I'm drafting him with my round 150 pick, you could do that. Um, so how so high did been Arch some... Manning go? That's, that's my real oh, question. Oh, Arch here. Manning was drafted last year, and <laughs> I think he was – yeah. Arch Manning, who is still, I think, 15 years old at this point. Uh, it was not me, by the way. It was uh, – yeah. So FBI, in case you're listening. It was not me, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so Arch Manning, who is not even eligible for the NFL draft until 2026, he was drafted last year, uh, and uh, he's not the youngest player that's been drafted, so it's that an insane league. Okay. All right. So kind of let's let's use that as a bit of a segue into Devi, and maybe we'll come back to some general FF later. So kind of like I personally don't watch a ton of college football, so like I find it like and I and other people can find it like intimidating. What kind of mm -hmm. tips do you have for getting into Debbie? Like where's the first place to start? I think if you've never played in a Debbie league, I think uh, there, there are certain people that still love to play with um, uh, Debbie leagues where it's only, you know, two to four rounds of uh, college players drafted every year, you know, something like that. And that's where I would start. Um, but really I would just start with trying to, understanding if you don't you know know anything besides basically like one conference of of college football and maybe that's the the end of the depth that you guys kind of pay attention to it i would start by really understanding that one conference and then expanding it out uh, and understanding basically the top 25 teams and the top 25 teams or so account for a giant chunk of all the players drafted uh in the nfl and so if you can basically just pick out um you know, the top 25 teams going into this fall, uh, according to the rankings, and get to know their skill position players. Um, by the end of the year, you're going to be pretty comfortable and feel ready to draft a, a Debbie league next spring. Um, so you just start with understanding, you know, maybe your favorite teams, maybe your favorite conference. If you can get to a point where you understand the entirety of the Power, power 5 and all the te like teams there, that's great. But um, it can be a lot. It's 130 teams when you get to all the group of five conferences and everything. But just start small, um, you know, pick, you know, 20 something teams to kind of learn all their skill position players and go from there. For me, like I, I did that years ago. And um, uh, over time, you just add layers to it. And you're like, oh, but oh, actually, I, I already know all the skill position players, you know, a few years into it for probably 60, 70 plus teams. So it's it just layers year over year. And so you'll you'll get to a point where you want to add deeper and deeper leagues and just uh, enjoy weirder and weirder formats, but uh, you don't have to bite all 130 teams off at the same time. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, I know, especially like being from Canada, I don't really have like a home team to root for, for like, you know, a lot of people have like um, 
alma maters who are they're following and so on so it's a little harder for me to kind of really engage with how crazy college football can be mm-hmm. um so definitely a place to start so kind of turning that question on his head is it possible to go zero devi as long-term strategy um i.e like perpetually sell off your devi picks and continue like winning like making like profit on them because people like might overemphasize debbie is it possible to do such a thing and if so how oh, would yeah. you do it oh absolutely yeah i mean uh depending on how how deeply i mean if it was like a in some formats it would be kind of silly to sell off all your debbie, debbie picks especially if it's uh several rounds deep um, where it makes all the rookie values empty as well because then you have virtually no feeder and you're just building off of uh, future debut picks that you're trading. It's it's hard to do that, but I think if you play with a few people that that do enjoy uh, having a sexy looking roster, you know, like oh hey, in two years from now I'll have this guy starting and running back. Like, cool man, I'm gonna just win the championship this year. So yeah, I, I've done that in a couple leagues where I have traded, um, you know, all of my Debbie firsts away and just uh, I might even like trade down mid Debbie draft and add a second and then trade that one and like two Debbie seconds away for an actual NFL player because somebody wants to reach for their college player. So I, I, I definitely try to do that mid Debbie draft if I'm going to just, just like you would in a, a normal rookie draft, like you would probably wait to, and the closer you get to the rookie draft or the closer you get to the Debbie draft, the, the, the higher the value is going to be. Uh, so I, I try to do that uh, as much as possible, especially because oftentimes Debbie drafts are, they're happening you know, like in February, March, and, and April sometimes, and so uh, some some way till summer. But it's always at a point where uh, veterans, uh, actual NFL players, are valued the least. You know, during rookie hype season, or even over the summer, where people are talking about the the college players and the college teams that are already buzzing. So it's all about the timing. But you can definitely do that because people just want to be like, oh, Bijan Robinson, I need him on my team. You know, Tank Bigsby, I need him on my team. Um, you know, big names, and they and they take a screenshot and, and share it on social media. Be like, look how awesome my team will be in three years. <laughs> so you can definitely win uh, by just avoiding all that. Yeah, definitely. What kind of like talk to you about the twenty twenty two class? So like, what's one name that we're talking? We'll be talking around this time next year is like it's like a Javante Williams type stud who kind of like nobody was talking about this like last year. Who are we talking about th- next year? That um would come out in that class yeah so next year is interesting because uh you're looking at a class that uh, we've known for quite a while quite a long time was not super deep at at running back um and you can generally see i mean that's probably another another point of conversation but you can generally tell just based off recruiting ratings uh three years ahead of time what classes are going to be bad like we knew for three years at least that the 2020 class was going to be absolutely stacked. And we knew for three years, at least that the 2021 class for running backs was going to be absolute trash. And we knew that, uh, because Najee Harris and Travis Etienne were also supposed to declare early and be in 2020. <laughs> so right. had they just declared early, imagine like how bad the 2021 running back class, and it already might be the worst of all time. Um, capital investment alone uh imagine how awful it would have been if we were like man i guess it's javante williams and then nobody like and then you know trey sermon maybe like so yeah i I think it's it it, it's hard projecting out um like super confidently uh, because there's always that one javante williams that one 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire that kind of climbs up and, and comes out of nowhere. Uh, but for me, next year, if I had to bank on any name that's that absolutely no one is, is really thinking is going to go super high in the draft, I think it would be Rashad White uh, of Arizona State uh, because everyone thinks that it's going to be uh, Diamante Tra uh, Tranum, uh, the younger back of the duo that they, ha they have at Arizona State. Um, uh, but if you're familiar with that situation, you know, the Pac-12 had a very abridged schedule last year, um, and people really didn't know what was going on with a lot of the teams. Uh, they didn't even know if they were going to play. But Rashad White uh, was a uh, kind of a, a transfer situation where he came in, and basically last spring he was already looking like the best back. Uh, came in and averaged seriously over 11 yards per touch, uh, albeit on only 50 plays last year. But it very much reminded me of Antonio Gibson and his just explosion and efficiency, uh, albeit in a smaller sample. And Rashad White, I think, is more talented than uh, Trainum, at, at least right now. And in a class where we're missing uh, a bunch of depth, for sure, next year at the running back position, we could see a few names like Rashad White, Arizona State, uh, come up, like even Austin Jones of Stanford to kind of come up, a former four-star guy there. Uh, but those would be two names I'd be watching just based on the opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of shifting to the C2C format, what kind of late round sleepers are you thinking about like in that format? So like, I'm assuming not in your first two like Devi picks or college football side picks, first two rounds or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So both the names I gave you would be, I mean, they're probably round, you know, at least round six or later in many drafts. But if, if I'm keeping it kind of closer um, and I'm wanting to target a player that's, you know, going outside the first few rounds at the very least in uh, most all of my drafts, um, I'd be looking at Jalen Berger, Wisconsin running back. Uh, so Wisconsin loves to feed the running backs. We know that. Uh, they've done so for several years, Jonathan Taylor being the most recent excellent example of this. And they've actually had one player graduate, one player transfer out, and Jalen Berger, who was already essentially the best running back on the team last year, now has most of all of the workload to himself and a second-year uh, starter at QB and Graham Mertz, who was already looking pretty good last fall, but now will be in a situation where they return uh, a lot of pieces, a lot of important pieces there, and Jalen Berger should just absolutely eat and probably is a candidate to be in the 1,500 yards from scrimmage range. Yeah, that's awesome. I know Wisconsin has always. It's. I think with like C two C leagues, I'm almost wondering if it's like find the really productive colleges for, because you're tracking those stats as well, right? Like more so than like their NFL viability. Almost is that is that something you think about in college to Canyon leagues or campus? Canyon yeah, leagues? yeah, definitely. But I think for the first six to seven rounds at least, I'm looking at NFL projections as well. But like it's it's weird because for example, Malik Willis who goes to Liberty. Liberty is a top five school in terms of returning production from last year. Uh, they're in a really good situation. It's a little bit tougher schedule probably than last year, but Malik Willis was essentially the most college, uh, most productive college passer slash rusher in all of the sport. And in many, many drafts this year, he's going to be going first overall in college fantasy football leagues. Yet I got him in round seven of a college to Canton league that just started this year. Uh, and that's with, which is funny, like, that's with him just recently getting some even first round buzz uh, for next year's NFL draft. I Now, I, I don't think that's probably going to materialize. 
Uh, it could. Uh, he's got some crazy rocket arm strength and an awesome, fun mobility. Not quite the, the speed of a Lamar Jackson or anything, but he's got an absolute cannon. Uh, so it's funny to see a guy that is the 1.01 in college fantasy leagues drop to round seven. So it, it's kind of a mix. Uh, you have to just know when to, to take your, your stab at your player. Because like right next to him uh, is a true freshman quarterback that's probably not even going to play this year in the same draft. And Jake Garcia, uh, a pure future NFL projection. Uh, so like he's a five, borderline four or five-star quarterback for Miami and looked good in the spring game. So he kind of rose up boards just on speculation for the future. But you got to know when to strike and when to get your guy that uh, can win your college side uh, of things as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So kind of continuing the probe of the Devi depths here, who are your favorite two incoming freshmen at like, like favorite incoming freshmen at receiver and running back this year? Oh man, favorite. No, <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I will just probably take a moment to uh, rant how uh, on how frustrating it is looking at the incoming recruits and seeing that, you know, basically uh, out of the, the top 21 wide receivers this year, um, they're only represented by six different schools. <laughs> like it's it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like Alabama has four of them, uh, LSU has three of them, Oklahoma has four of them, uh, and one's already converted to defensive back because he realized he wasn't going to get enough snaps at wide receiver. Uh, it's just an absolute funnel right now to all the top schools, which is so so frustrating. Trying to f just sift through all that mess and and figure out okay, there's four guys that are all you know, graded out in time in, inside like the top 120 in the entire nation, not just wide receiver, but like, but all players in the country, they're like all top 150 guys. And you're trying to just figure, figure out who's actually going to hit. It's absolutely impossible, really. So th that's become a mess at wide receiver, which has made it rough. And this running back class, uh, I think, uh, is also probably not super deep this year. Uh, typically you see like 15 plus, running backs make it inside the top 200 overall recruits or so. And we only have 12 if we're being generous, according to the 24 seven sports composite. So it looks like a more shallow class, but I really like Kamara Edmonds uh, for North Carolina. You mentioned Javante Williams earlier. Uh, he's gone. Michael Carter is gone. However, their future franchise quarterback in the NFL, Sam Howell is still there. A lot of other returning pieces are still there. And Kamaro Edmonds should slot in as the Javante Williams in that offense as a true freshman. And even though he's rated uh, just inside, I think the top 250 in terms of the recruiting services, I think he's probably the running back six or maybe running back five overall in, uh, in terms of the true freshman running backs this year. So that's somebody I'm trying to get everywhere, but I think some people are catching on to the fact that that's probably uh, going to happen. That's probably going to be a, uh, a good situation for him. Uh, but in terms of the wide receivers and my, my favorite wide receivers, uh, it's kind of a more of a projection because uh, he's not even on campus just yet, but I really like uh, Destin Hill. Uh, he's a little bit down the line in terms of ranks. Uh, you know, he, I think he's barely a top 20 recruit, but uh, Florida State needs some wide receiver help. Um, they had a couple guys look good in the spring. Uh, they brought in Andrew Parchment from Kansas uh, to be kind of like a grad transfer to kind of put a Band-Aid on like a, a grant, basically the, the Grand Canyon uh, <laughs> of uh, like gap and talent that they have at the position. But I think Destin Hill, he was an incredibly, incredibly productive high school wide receiver. 
Uh, and athletically, he's probably more impressive than just about anybody there other than, I don't know, I, I don't know, uh, who is the guy? Malik McClain from IMG, uh, IMG Academy who came in. So Destin Hill, uh, true freshman, didn't even make it on campus for the spring, but uh, should blow up this fall as a true freshman because he's not having to compete with four other true freshmen uh, like some of the other top wide receivers in this class. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so kind of like if people were looking to kind of study more college and kind of recruiting data, where do you think they should look for like college-specific data? Um, you know, is there an API? Is there a site? Um, what kind of like resources would you recommend to people looking to get started with that? Sure, if you want to dig in and understand, uh, especially any incoming recruiting class, um, the big ones are obviously the ESPN Top 300, Rivals, and 24-7 Sports. 24-7 uh, Sports, though, has the best tools because they actually have a composite rating system. They have their own rankings listed, but with a quick, uh, just one click of a button, they do this uh, composite uh, that weights basically ESPN, Rivals, and 24-7 Sports all into one, which um, if you do any kind of testing in terms of predictive value for future draft capital, the, the, the composite rating is more accurate than any of the three individual services, uh, which makes sense, but it is consistently year over year uh, more accurate. And so if you want to get a look, good look at any of the classes, you can sort by position uh, really easily on their site. And they go super deep too. like in every single class they're uh, looking at, you know, they're going to have at this point, there's over 2003, three, four and five star kids every year. And they have uh, profiles on all of them. So, you know, you can look at their star rating. You can look at the number of offers they have. You can look at some highlights. You can get look at uh, news bits here and there on all these top recruits and really gain an understanding. And then with that, I would just start with, you know, the top 10 to 12 at each position in a freshman class. Uh, and that's going to help you out and understand, you know, the, the top candidates to break out as true freshmen. And that's that's a great place to start, even if you've never looked at recruiting at all. So just 24-7 sports, their composite rating system, is uh, where I, I I tell you to go first. Cool. So like, just kind of a question. kind of like I'm kind of zooming back to this um, to the college prospects. How how sticky is that recruiting ranking from like from the recruiting level? Like, if you had that data, do you think it's worth like putting weight into the recruiting like rank or composite rank when they're already like a finished college prospect about to go into the NFL? Like. I know you just talked about yes. how predictive it is. Like, do you think that that's something that we should be incorporating as part of it? Or do you think that like they've already shown what they would show um, production wise, statistics wise, et cetera? Uh, by the time that they actually get to the pros and uh, they actually get the draft capital, um, I would say in terms of predicting the fantasy points from that point on, uh, it doesn't have a, a lot of weight from there. Uh, but if you're in, in the business of trying to proje uh, project or predict future draft capital, uh, it absolutely does matter. Like if you look at, uh, I think I, in, in our nerd chat and a couple of other places, I think I may have even mentioned this to you, but I've, I've pooled data um, using some 24-7 sports stuff uh, from 2002 uh, all the way up through the 2016 classes because all of those classes should have entered the NFL in terms of their normal draft schedule goes. Uh, so you're you know looking at 15 years of classes um basically all the recruits uh, rated three star four star and five star and uh to try to understand you know where those guys actually get drafted and uh so 
typically um, you'll see that uh, five stars get drafted at a ridiculous, a ridiculously high rate. I mean, I could go into some of the numbers, like for example, like since like from t 2002 to 2016, like there were 92 of those players that were drafted in the first round, which doesn't sound like it's that many until you realize how few five stars there really are in any class. In any class, you're looking at, you know, in between, depending on uh, the rating cutoff uh, that they they qualify for and the composite rating, uh, you're looking at in between 25 and 40 players in the entire country. And so that's a very, very small group. And actually, almost 60% of those players in the five-star rating range get drafted at all. Uh, and they get drafted at a much higher rate in terms of uh, going in the first round. Uh, so, you know, 92 and, and, you know, divided by 15 draft classes, that's like basically every single year, uh, even though there's only 25 to 40 in a given class uh, that are five stars, six of them are getting first round draft capital. And then another 90 plus are getting day two draft capital. So we're, we're talking about like, um, at that point, you're talking about, let's see what it is. It's uh, like 12 or 13 of a, you know, any given draft classes, five stars uh, are getting day one or day two draft capital, which is an absurd percentage, uh, especially when you compare it to the population that they're, you know, like of a four star or, or three star guys, it's, it's not even close. Like there's way more, like several hundred, like a few hundred four stars in any class. And then there's, you know, anywhere from like 1500 to 1800 three stars in any given class at this point. And so um, there may be a greater number of, or of three and four stars that hit like in any, in any like any year, like a first round of, a, of the NFL draft, you're going to see about nine or 10, three and four stars get drafted in that range. But there's, you know, hundreds more in any given class. So it's, uh, I could, uh, I, I don't want to just go off on all the numbers, but it's, it's staggering. <laughs> it, it's, it's ridiculously staggering. Like when you look at how much uh, more five stars get drafted than three and four stars. And then when you compare that to like two stars or less guys, like you're, you're talking about a population of in any given high school class of graduating seniors, 248,000 that don't qualify um, for any three or four or five star rating. Um, and then in any given class, you're talking about out of that 248,000, like seven getting first wow. round draft capital. Yeah. Like, so it's like, a huge like, threshold it's, almost, it's right? Like it's a threshold thing where like, it really it, is. If you're looking at pre-draft fantasy drafts, fantasy rookie drafts or Devi or campus college, you can't like, c2c leagues sorry i'm going to trip over that like a million times now um but like having that kind of recruiting ranking really does kind of it's like draft capital for pre-draft capital right like it's really oh, it important is. to like predicting that kind of thing oh yeah super super sticky in terms of uh, predicting that quite a bit um yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's kind of jump over to um we talked a bit about data, so let's kind of jump over to kind of just giving some instant reactions to NFL and kind of the current fantasy situation. You're a Titans fan. What are the odds do you think that Julio gets traded there? To, oh, to the Titans? To the Titans, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think it's very high unless unless the Falcons just eat basically all the cap because uh, the current cap situation for the Titans is not pretty. Like, they're, 
they're still um i think they have i can't remember how many rookies they have outstanding as, as of right now as, as of this recording but they had like five million in cap and uh, if you look at the cap hit for julio it's not close they'd have to basically involve another heavy cap player in the trade or just negotiate the heck of out of it with uh, the cap hit and structure uh, to make it work. I, I, I was really hoping that would happen because the Titans basically have no wide receivers outside of A.J. Brown. They've got Josh Reynolds, uh, something called a Nick Westbrook, uh, which I actually really liked as a debut <laughs> prospect. Um, and then Des Fitzpatrick, uh, you know, the rookie out of Louisville, uh, fourth-round pick. Uh, they've you know got Cameron Batson, which nobody here knows who that is, probably unless you know Titans special teams players. Uh, so it's just it's gross. I, I, they really need to fix it somehow, but it's probably not going to be Julio. So how much more would you pay for Julio in that situation compared to like his current fantasy value? Like, do you think it jumps like, do you think he jumps like four spots, five spots in like his current ranking? I know he's like in the twenties now. He's kind of old, mm -hmm. but would you pay more <laughs> if he was on the Titans? Like you personally, and then like as an industry kind of perspective? I don't think I would just because it, it would be a lot to assume that he'd come in and one, get incredible volume as, as a Titans wide receiver. Um, and, and two, you, you know, you're taking him away from, the quarterback that he has tons of chemistry with and uh, an offense that um, I'm not sure we really know what it's going to look like this year now that Arthur Smith is actually with the Falcons, not the Titans. Uh, so uh, it, there's just a lot of question marks uh, with my Titans offense this year. Uh, so, yeah, I would probably actually knock him down a notch maybe. Yeah. Do you, you talked about the skill position players with Derrick Henry and a like A.J. Brown. Do you think that changes with – like Arthur Smith being gone, or do you think there's a similar volume like upside there? Um, what kind of what kind of read do you have on that? Like offensively, like is it the same coordinator yeah. family kind of thing? Yeah, uh, early signs are that it should not shift incredibly. The Titans, uh, I think how they deploy uh, their offense um, is going to look a little bit more boring than it did last year because they let John Smith go. They let. Corey Davis go and so they replaced them with basically nobody and then Josh Re Josh Reynolds so Anthony Ferkser who I really like um, and he was basically a practice squad guy uh, out of Harvard uh, a few years back really nice guy too like he actually um, at one of the practices I actually brought my uh, my mom and my little sister who at the time was like 15 and uh, he actually like signed her shoe because she didn't have any <laughs> gear to <laughs> actually get signed by him but he like went out of his way to just um you know find you know a little girl that looked like she didn't know what to do <laughs> and just you know make make her day and so i like uh, anthony perkser he's probably going to be the tight end one and then uh, jeff swaim uh you know if they bring in um somebody else it might be uh you know might not be him but he's probably going to be like the run blocking tight end perkser is going to be like the move tight end uh, the, but the tight end uh titans that's basically the same word the titans use tight ends uh, a ton uh, last year they were leading the league i believe in 12 personnel like with one running back and and two uh two tight ends uh, and they also love using 21 personnel like having a tight end essentially play a fullback role and i think that that kind of look is gonna be there a lot you're gonna see a lot of two wide receivers wide because they frankly don't even have a third one on the team so um uh, it, it's it's gonna basically it, it's gonna be weird it's gonna be all derrick henry all aj brown and then please somebody else get open when we need to play. Right. Yeah. So do you think Tannehill take a step back then? Like it seems kind of obvious with like weaponry going down, but can he be efficient with like Ferkser? Like, so like two questions is Ferkser going to get like Johnny Smith's like Johnny Smith's kind of been a disappointment, like, 
personally, like from like what I would expect from his fantasy perspective. Do you think Firkster has any mm-hmm. chance of beating that? And then the second question is with Tannehill, like, do you think he takes a step back this year then? I think Tannehill's already exceeded our expectations for two seasons in a row now. And last year he had a touchdown percentage, I think near 7%. Uh, and so I don't think that that's going to repeat. I don't think he has that kind of efficiency again. Uh, maybe he has a few more interceptions because he has basically no separation at the wide receiver position. And, uh, you know, maybe has a few more yards because they're actually having to come back in more games and he's not as efficient. And uh, I think he just takes a step back at the very least in an efficiency standpoint, whereas his overall total fantasy points might only dock a point per game or so just because he might have to throw more out of necessity some this year. And uh, actually for the first time in like what, seven, eight years to have the Titans throw for more than 500 times in a season, which would be fantastic for them to finally get with the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge Tannehill fan, but like that kind of goes with EPA and everything else, right? He's incredibly efficient. Yeah, Um, but I didn't really answer your first question though. So I just, (laughs) uh, so just to answer that, if you look at how they distribute the targets last year, they actually had like a hundred and you know, just between, uh, I think it was just between John and Ferkshire, they almost had 120 targets. I, I believe they will not give him 120, but I think he could get around 100 targets this year because the, the team really loves Ferkshire. Like that that kind of love that, you know, like the team's guys, like Vrabel loves Ferkshire. Like he's he's his dude. Like Cameron Batson, nobody knows who that is. He's going to be on the final 53 because Vrabel loves him. So like that kind of thing that doesn't really make the national media um, – like that, they're gonna feed Berkshire because he's the only receiving tight end now. Okay, so I'm gonna make sure to keep an eye out for him in my leagues for sure because I know he was on waiver wires. Up there. Like he, he's 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 like nearly free almost. Yeah. So. Yeah, I have him like everywhere now because I actually grabbed him some last year just just as a speculative play. I think I have at least six or seven Anthony Berkshire sitting around sitting around. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about rookies. So Etienne or Pitts. Like, why is Etienne ahead of Pitts or the reverse, like, for you? Yeah, so I think uh, just from an asset standpoint, in terms of value right now, the play is Pitts just because everyone believes he is already Travis Kelsey and is going to be so for the next 12 years, essentially. Like, that's that's basically how he's being valued. Uh, so I think it's it's him just from a value standpoint. But if I'm actually betting the odds... Uh, given what I know in, in terms of historical hit rate and in terms of a player actually ending up being the you know, 1.01 or the highest valued uh, flex asset in a following year after the rookie draft. Like, a tight end has never in the history of fantasy football been the most valuable asset for fantasy football in the, the year following their rookie season. Like, that's never happened. And Travis Etienne is probably one of two or three running backs who could be in that slot. And there, there's maybe one or two wide receivers who could be in that slot. Uh, and if I was going to bet on anyone being that uh, most valuable player in year two, I would bet that it would be Travis Etienne over Kyle Pitts. So really long term, I think it's Travis Etienne uh, just based off of what he's become. Uh, he, he turned in 14% final season receiving yard market share and had three plus seasons of 1500 plus yards from scrimmage uh, on a national championship winning team. Like he just, he was the offense. Like he made them move uh, just as much as Trevor Lawrence did at times, especially when Trevor Lawrence was still young uh, in, in that first season. 
So I really like him quite a bit, and I, I do think Kyle Pitts is going to hit. I just because of the position, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, he's definitely going to be the most valuable asset from this class a year from now. Yeah, sorry, I've, I'm definitely like someone who's kind of betting on the like Kyle Pitts thing, and I'm kind of the opposite of you, where I like want to see like you know if even if he's like in the top three, there's de there's so much value over his replacement that like. Between that, between like, you know, getting more volume in terms of just like Julio not being there, like you got, you're already starting to bake that into his pricing as well. I'm kind of betting on the value over replacement, um, but it's kind of interesting to like compare, like you know, knowing what the hit rates are versus like can pits be generational? What kind of ways do you like what data from the past can you quote yeah. unquote throw out right so it's it's interesting to kind of hear data people you know are you betting that pits is different or are you betting pits is the same as the past tight ends that have come out you know yeah yeah it, it is interesting i love playing with that stuff just to look at the range of outcomes and don't hear me say i don't believe in kyle pitts because i absolutely do like as a, as a debbie tight end i don't i don't even i don't even normally touch debbie tight ends but kyle pitts was was one that i was all about trying to add a year ago so I, I think he's going to succeed. I think he's going to be a tight end one for a long time. Uh, but I'm not in that crew that's like, oh, yeah, he's obviously just going to be the tight end one, uh, like overall, like or even in the conversation with Kelsey and and even like the Wallers of the world right away or even within the first three years. Like that's just not, you know, that's not what I'd really bet on being the outcome. It, it's in the cards. Uh, it's just most of what we do um, is opportunity based. You know, like we, we think it's a lot more talent, but uh, most of it is just uh, opportunity that smooths out all the noise. And so maybe it's going to be there, but um, immediately, uh, even with Julio not there, uh, Calvin Ridley is still there. Um, and so he takes the, the precedence over anyone else in that offense still. Uh, so it'll be interesting just to see how it plays out. Yeah, definitely. Who's your favorite round two rookie in one quarterback or super flex? And why is it Josh Palmer? <laughs> <laughs> round two oh man yeah the palmerprocess.com asks me this question oh man I, I love how you just leaned into that that bit with josh palmer as being like your guy but I, for me it's it's diami brown who actually has been dropping into the third round in a couple leagues that i'm not in but in all the leagues that i'm in diami brown is going to be uh finding his way into the back end of round two because i believe he could be at least the wide receiver too, if not better, uh, for the Washington football team long term. He was the best deep threat in all of college football in two-year span uh, from 2019 and 2020 with the deepest average depth, depth of target, back-to-back -back seasons of 50-plus receptions and over 1,000 yards in each, averaging like 20 yards per reception in those seasons, checking a bunch of boxes in terms of yards per team pass attempt numbers, his dominator rating, his touchdown per team pass attempt numbers, and any kind of production metric that you like he probably hits that threshold and so uh, you mix that with day two capital in a situation where they're going to need some wide receivers to step up uh, sign me up yeah absolutely i mean uh, diami definitely like right in that cluster with like all the really good analytical prospects for sure um how much of like your hype squad do you own in your leagues like do you like diversify like between players or do you like follow that squad like the, like your guys you know like you know i i personally own palmer in like four of eight 
you know but like i don't have mm -hmm. to pay very much to get him as much as you know the meme goes so i'm just curious like how how do you like approach having players like that like your favorites yeah i i don't think i have any single player at 50 percent ownership um or higher uh so i and really i i probably don't have I might not have anybody over 40, but now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, I do try to go in uh, with an idea that I am not going to have all the same players, um, but I don't intentionally just move away if I have one of my guys st staring at me on the board. I just don't like try to trade up and maneuver my way into it, even when I'm not in position to do, to do so. Like last year, um, and I, this isn't the case every year, but uh, not perfect, but last year I had, uh, I think, six or well, five or six shares at least of Antonio Gibson and Justin Herbert both. Like I just saw them as being way undervalued from where they should be going uh, versus players at their position. Loved Antonio Gibson's skill set, his, his efficiency, his athleticism and size and possible opportunity. And I loved that Justin Herbert was in many cases the cheaper option at quarterback among uh, some of the ones from last year. Uh, just because he didn't have the perfect analytical profile. Uh, he didn't uh, have the early entry, all that stuff. And so I, I really liked um, both situations. And so I just was like, hey, I'm just going to end up with a bunch of these guys. And uh, I think they were my most highly uh, drafted rookies last year. And that worked out. Like that that took a team that was, you know, uh, on the outside looking into the playoffs last year, finished, finishing, I think, seventh or eighth, uh, all the way to the championship uh, just in one year. So if, if you... <laughs> If you go in with your guys, you can change several leagues at a time. And so that's what I try to do. I'm kind of a, a go bigger, go home guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm only, I'm, it, it's also different when you're in that many leagues as well, right? Like 50% is a huge number to hit when you got to get them in 10 leagues. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different when I only need to get like four or five, you know, like it's not the same thing um, for sure. Okay, so we got we're gonna. I want to respect your time. Um, so you said an hour, so we've got about five minutes left. Um, so let's kind of hit sure. some uh, less direct fancy uh, questions. So, um, what do you think aspiring fantasy football football writers and creators spend too much time doing? Um, trying to, I, I would say, uh, trying to uh, fill a void that's already being filled better by someone else. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, especially early on, I did it because I was like, man, I'm seeing all these kind of content pieces that are, um, and this is maybe a bad example just because they're everywhere now, but like, uh, you know, six years ago when I was first getting into it, it's like everyone was doing all these waiver pieces and weekly sleeper pieces. And I was like, man, I should like make a funny, weird, uh, goofy name for basically the same thing and try to do it better than someone who's already been doing it for th three years. And I, I think that's just frankly a waste of time. Um, and uh, not that it, you know, it doesn't help you, uh, I guess, hone your craft, uh, but uh, definitely just try to find some niche that's not already being filled and uh, fill it with your personality and fill it with your voice. Uh, that's that's going to be the best way to to approach things. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's hard. Like it fancy is like a mature industry these days, you know, like it's really mm -hmm. hard to have a niche that doesn't already get like filled by somebody doing something. So that definitely makes it tricky to find that spot. Yeah. Who's, which yeah, person? Oh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have more on that topic. So who's person, which person's takes on Twitter make you stop and think the most? Um, 
let's see, that, that makes me think the most. I would say, let's see. I'm trying to think like of just a non-obvious name. Uh, I would say it's actually probably Miguel uh, Chapitone, I, I, Chapton. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but is he's at Pro Football PSI. Um, he basically has this uh, process success indicator uh, that he's kind of built, and he kind of works on different uh, position groups and uh, builds out these scores. And I don't always agree with his rankings, and I don't necessarily think his models the the <laughs> always correct or anything like that, but. He thinks about these things in a different way than almost anyone that I know. And uh, he doesn't mind backing up what he says and uh, re or recognizing when he's wrong uh, on something. So, uh, again, at, uh, at Pro Football PSI, uh, just got always has some weird-looking rankings, especially at the wide receiver position. But it'll make you go back and just think about why you have somebody ranked where you do. And I, and I appreciate that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely like super into that like analytics. Like this is like the what the production profile would say, kind of, if I mm -hmm. remember correctly. I, I like only that. that. Like he's just like, uh, and sometimes it'll make him way too high on guys like Ashton Doolin or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. But uh, oh but even so, it's just like okay, maybe I need to look at this guy one more time. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 a really good like double check, right? Like it's the same like with like super film people as well. Like even if yeah. like it's outside of your process for sure. Okay. Yeah. So as a trend, like do you do you find yourself more re more likely to react slowly to news and performances, like stick with priors, or do you find like you, you there's more of an advantage to react quickly, like to move to react to take advantage of sh news shifts? Um. I think. Uh... It's a bit of a give and take, but I've found that overreacting is, is seldom uh, the right play. <laughs> uh, I think when it comes to most uh, most things, uh, especially when the, with the ebbs and flows of a long season in college or football, a four-week sample might look great, but there have been a lot of players that looked bad for four weeks or looked good for four weeks, and then things completely turned on its head. Just like, you know, Travis Fulgham last year, who I grabbed for free and moved for plus, and then I have none of him left. Like that, that's, I, I love taking advantage of the people that overreact and want to pay up for somebody who just came out of nowhere and is probably not going to be a thing, you know? So that's how I play. It's always just pick up and f easy profit, right? Mm hmm Okay. So, um, Alp had a question about, um, adjusted production index eight. Like, do you, do you put out a stat like that? Um, where you like adjusting the production for age, I'm assuming, or yeah, so, you tell us um, about that stat, I guess. I wanted to make something that uh, was easy to understand, but looked at production uh, from uh, some practical sp uh, perspectives, um, but also data driven. So like, simply put, um, it looks at dominator rating, yards per team pass attempt, and touchdowns per team pass attempt. So practically speaking, you're talking about can this player uh, garner and successfully, um, you know, produce at a large level within the scope of an offense um, in college. And so the dominator rating looks at volume. So it's volume play first and yards per team pass attempt is up next. Uh, that is a very predictive independent variable within uh, you know the data sphere, uh, even more so than dominator because you don't have to dress it up or do anything to it. It's already pretty predictive by itself. So yards per team pass attempt kind of more speaks to the efficiency of a player. So you've got volume with dominator rating, you've got efficiency with the yards per team pass attempt. And finally, you have touchdown per team pass attempt, which 
it doesn't it's not as sticky in the predicting future fantasy points category as much as it is predicting future draft capital category so you're looking at players that are high touchdown scoring machines high touchdown percentages a la like uh like terrace marshall last year like his production profile wasn't perfect but if you look at it through the lens of all three volume efficiency and touchdown scoring ability uh, Terrace Marshall's overall adjusted production index tells a pretty confident story, especially when you mix in with the day two draft capital. So it mixes in the practicality of volume efficiency and touchdown scoring ability with the sticky nature of those metrics and being predictive all together in one standardized score. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, so you don't age adjust or you so you talked about dominator rating. So you don't talk mm -hmm. about like, so do you age adjust any of those stats or do you like um, adjust for years out of college? So with that metric, um, I thought about and I do this on my own anyway, uh, when I kind of build my own uh, process model, and I probably should publish that at some point, but I don't add um, age adjusted numbers into it. Um, because that's so readily available, like the breakout age numbers. If you want to adjust and understand like that a fifth year breakout at a group of five school with nice peak uh, adjusted production index numbers, like that, that's not as good as a guy who broke out early. Uh, but because of how college football is changing, I wanted a metric that was going to transcend uh, time and that was going to last a while uh, that I wouldn't have to fix. Uh, because what we're going to see and what we've already seen this year is that we're going to have more odd later breakouts than we ever have seen because of the, the transfer portal, because of the pandemic that we just had. We're going to see a few years, at the very least, of imperfect and jumbled up production profiles. Uh, and we've already seen more transfers than we've ever seen before this year. And now with the free one-time transfer rule, we're, we're going to see all these guys that were buried on death charts for one or two or three years, and then they go to a good situation, break out, post 80, 80th percentile plus numbers in their final season and then get draft capital. Like Brandon Ayuk, like nobody saw that guy coming because he was a Juco guy, came in first year Arizona State and he was behind Nikhil Harry, who was already a two year proven veteran and was already eating all the market share. And then he breaks out in his final year and then he gets draft capital and we're all surprised and like, wait, where did this come from? But he's somebody that shows up in the adjusted production index. And so the adjusted production index more than anything has shown to be more proven in pre predicting draft capital uh, than it is fantasy points, but it is really good at predicting fantasy points as well. So um, I think because we're going to see some weird stuff, um, it's going to be one of those metrics that by itself, it, it doesn't tell the whole story, but it, but it does help you find the players uh, that you might not otherwise uh, within the normal scope of a standard uh, production arc in college. You talk a lot about sorry th yeah that was great so you talk a lot about um predicting draft capital do you like so then like like after the draft do you predict like do you look at a player and say okay so i'm balancing their draft capital how much like the production liked them and how much like film liked them do you look at like that as a holistic group after the draft like with like today's knowledge do you look at that and then like ascribe percentages to that like how much you weight players based on draft and production and then film and then you know athletics if you throw that I'm, I'm guessing no but yeah like how i weight all those different aspects yeah how do you combine you're... that yeah exactly yeah so athleticism man it's, it's really just a threshold thing for me 
like if there's like some big glaring red flags, like um, I'll, I'll kind of react to it, but I'm not putting much stock into that. Um, I mean, I, I might move somebody up one or two spots uh, in my overall big board off of that kind of thing, but I'm really looking at a uh, more of like a 40%, you know, production, 40% or maybe 30% film. And then, uh, you know, looking at a few other variables on the side, but it's very much, I'm just trying to play the numbers and play them and bet the percentages, um, knowing the large scale success rate, uh, within several different metrics. Yeah, that's awesome. So do, do, do those numbers, I'm assuming those numbers change post draft. Does that, like, yes, does draft do. capital change to like 50% more less? How do you think that balances for you? Well, it, it's draft, draft capital. I mean, you know, like Seth Williams is a great example because Debbie people liked Seth Williams for years because um, if you squint, he kind of had like a true freshman uh, breakout depending on your threshold there. Uh, and he continued to produce despite having a really annoyingly frustrating, just awful quarterback in Bo Nix um, and, and was doing great things there. And then all of a sudden he's a sixth rounder. Uh, and just looks like Cortland Sutton insurance for the Broncos or whatever. So um, you kind of have to adjust. Like if, if somebody that you thought could squeak into the back end of day two now is round six, uh, you basically have to knock him down two rounds. <laughs> like don't don't go reaching for a guy just because your pre-draft take was was super hot on him. Okay. Uh, outside of fantasy um what kind of training do you do for flag football you say you play competitive flag football yeah man super super competitive church league stuff <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's funny so i'm like the stats guy of our church flag football league and we've already had four seasons and we've had uh over 100 players in our league we generally have in between four and six um teams and uh we, we keep track of receptions tackles uh passes defended um, I actually, um, we videotape every game. And so I go back and I track the pressure percentages for all the pass rushers and everything. Um, I build out like uh, adjusted versions of like a, a dominator rating, just rather than yards, it's receptions and touchdowns for everybody. So like all my friends that don't even play fantasy football that are in this flag football league, like know what dominator rating means. And like, they know like, like, like receptions per team pass attempt. And like, they're talking about this stuff. Like, <laughs> and I, I, I even build out like, uh, this, um, pressure, like uh, pass rush pressures over ex expected model. Um, and so like everyone, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a basic, it basically like a little reverse engineer, like, you know, this, like, Hey, Hey, this guy, like Jabari has got like, uh, uh, five pressures over expected on the season versus the field with at least 20 pass rush reps and stuff like that. And so it's just, it's, it's really fun, nerdy stats and everyone just loves that. So, um, that, that's, a, that's always a lot of fun. And I am, by the way, I, the second in, uh, receiving touchdowns all time, um, uh, <laughs> like 17 behind my buddy, David, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. it, it's a lot of fun. Is it tactically different that contact football or is it like similar, but like seven on seven? Passing, oh dude it, yeah it's it's uh it's six on six even so it's all space okay. um yeah so it's like quarterbacks have quite a bit of room so like on defense you have to be super creative uh with uh not making it super easy for the offense to just score so if you get one or two stops you generally win the game how organized is it is it like you're calling coverages and like plays in this kind yeah. of competition as well 
Yeah, we, we generally have, and because we have a lot of their like returning players year over year, like you, you kind of have like your go to, um, go to plays and go to defenses, and um, like I've got one that's like a like a base like cover two at it, at its base, but then like uh, one of the safeties flexes as a pass rush as a linebacker as and then uh, uh, or as like a, a deeper safety or as like an additional man on man corner, um, and then you just it's all about pre snap communication and spacing, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Like I I you know, it's it's interesting to kind of think about like whether it's like a sandlot or otherwise. I know you play frisbee as well and so like sometimes yes. like, I make my I make fun of my sister cuz she plays ultimate frisbee, but she's like always talking about plays and stuff. I'm like, really this plays oh, yeah. frisbee like come on now. No, the other plays, man. Like I I used to do that too. Like we when Nashville had a an an AUDL team, uh, the like professional ultimate team. Yeah. I was essentially on like I was the the club team under that one, and we would practice with them all the time and just get killed. Uh, and <laughs> and and so that we would practice their plays and learn their plays and learn learn what I we would you know we were essentially like a practice squad for like a pro ultimate team, and it was hilarious because. You know, like we're just like weekend warrior types. Like we we go on tournaments and stuff, but these guys are like regimented and and working out like this this many times a week and doing practices all the time. We just show up on Tuesday just to get crushed and. <laughs> but it's targets, it's still right? fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, going to respect your time. We're just over, so we're just gonna ask two more questions. No, One good. is, uh, yeah, what's your favorite bar on Broadway Street? So Broadway. Uh, here I, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. There's always, always something uh, to do um, uh, down on on Broadway. Uh, there's a billion different bars to go uh, go to. I I think all the ones that are like the most popular are actually not exactly the best ones to go to. Um, like like Tootsie's, everyone knows that. <laughs> Uh, and then everyone knows, like, uh, they know, uh, what are those? they know Tin Roof. They know, like, uh, you know, a few of the big places like Acme down right on the river, which is cool. But, uh, but I actually like Old Red, which is actually Blake Shelton's place. Um, it's kind of newer. I think it's only three or four years old. And uh, it's, two it's two levels and um, bars on both levels. And they've got a big screen if you can't quite see the band. But you can be really close. And because of the shape of the venue, and then you can basically never be super far away from the music. Um, and acoustically, I know the guy who set up the engineering, and, and it's set up in a way that even on like a crazy Friday night, it doesn't sound like a bad, uh, bad, you know, uh, bar like most of like probably half the places down there. It's just like it's nobody took the time to really make it acoustically pleasing. But uh, I think Blake Shelton and some of the people that put in the work there at Old Red actually made it to where no matter how many people are there, no matter what kind of show, whether it's singer songwriter country or pop, whatever you're going there for, um, it always sounds good. Yeah. It's always those, like, it's not the most popular tourist trap, right? Like you always hear about the tourist traps, but like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's always that, like that insider bar that like everybody in town goes to for sure. Yeah. And really, frankly, I don't even go to the ones down there, uh, almost ever. <laughs> like I, I, I if I am going to go to some place, like I go, I go to Midtown. Like, winners and losers is uh, people know where those are and people go to that. But winners is huge and winners and losers is very tiny. Uh, or no, it's sorry, the other way around. Losers is huge and winners is this like little hole in the wall. But it's uh, so I go down there some um, and like uh, the, the the tin roof that's actually on Dumbarton Hill uh, and the Doghouse Saloon, which is on Dumbarton Hill. That's more like a college college bar, but it's actually. Um, and I probably like it because they have like a bunch of sports stuff there too. But 
uh, most people who live in Nashville don't they, they avoid all the bachelorette party scene and all that stuff. Um, but it's it's funny just it's seeing okay. all these we'll, people. We'll keep your secrets. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the best thing you bought recently in the last six months or so for under a hundred bucks? Oh my gosh, for under a hundred bucks. Oh man, I'm I'm so cheap. Like I don't I don't buy anything. But I think uh, um, under a hundred bucks. I think I like football set here recently, and actually just used that on Sunday. Um, you can get some like really nice weighted bases, and uh, some nice uh, like um, basically like special wiffle balls that don't break, uh, and they're not actually like a, a set of ten of them for twenty five bucks. You got that that and the bases and. You know, that's going to be my summer go-to for wiffle ball all summer long. So that's that's going to get a lot of play out of that. That's awesome. Uh, wiffle ball, jeez. Okay. Yeah, man, wiffle ball, that's what's up. Yeah, you can throw all <laughs> sorts of funky pitches. Like, you can accidentally, like, throw a really nasty slider. And like, and like how'd you do that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, so. never, it's never repeatable. Okay. Uh, yeah. And lastly, I've heard a lot of places um, – a lot of leagues are just starting to do this thing where they donate like 10% of their league dues to charity. Uh, what charity would you donate it to? So I actually have done this before and I love doing this. So my aunt actually started a, uh, a sports based charity in the Chicago area. It's called the sports shed. Um, and I, I really hope she goes national with it eventually, but essentially what she realized, cause she was a suburban like soccer mom herself is like, Every soccer mom and every suburban family has all this used sports gear that they don't use. Um, and there's a huge shortage of uh, sports equipment in, in the inner city communities and like public rec, rec facilities, uh, you know, kind of poorer um, high schools and middle schools. Uh, and so she basically started this charity to fund uh, higher, um, higher quality equipment or any equipment for most of inner city Chicago, like with like some football pads with her basketballs for baseball equipment. Um, and some of it's used, some of it's brand new because of, uh, of all the funding they've been able to generate. And so it just, it, it creates this environment where, uh, especially in, a, in some at risk communities where there's a lot of gangs and stuff like that, where they can kind of get sucked into that kind of environment. If there's actually a sport or a sports facility with with nice gear to go play at, at after school, like they can go do that rather than doing the alternative, um, which is not great. So that's worked really well with Inner City Chicago, and so I really hope she branches out and makes that national. Um, and because I, I would love to help start something like that in the Nashville area uh, as well. Uh, so that's that's probably what I, I I've done the most and given to the most. Yeah, that sounds that that sounds like a fantastic charity. Like, do they take both like donations of equipment as well as money, or do they mostly take money? Yeah, that... both. Yeah, yep. And yeah, my and my my aunt who now she's like in her upper fifties and she just looks like a soccer mom. She's got the the minivan and all that. She'll just be like driving through like you know, and not the nicest area like by herself at night with like her van just packed to the brim with soccer and football and all all this other stuff. Like she can't even move in her in. <laughs> her band like with all this sports equipment she's taking to some ymca or some middle school down in south chicago or something like it's just like she just kind of laughs at herself sometimes like what am i i, I must look ridiculous <laughs> I mean, you gotta like lean into that meme you know like i can lean into palm yeah. process all i want but that doesn't mean anything that's a, like the soccer mom meme is like a fantastic yeah meme when you do it that way <laughs> seriously. That's crazy. seriously yeah man okay um bryce is 
Bryce is here, and he's got his favorite question. Um, and I'll preface this with, you don't have to answer it, but I, ha I am obligated to ask it. And the question is, have you ever crapped your pants? And um, if so, can you tell us the story? <laughs> um, I have not as an adult, uh, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, I I've got a, a, a ridiculous story of how I uh, almost got uh, killed by hot sauce. Um, so that that's a thing. Is that... Yeah, that I'll take that too. That sounds great. Let's let's hear about it. Yeah, so like one of the summers, I, I was home for the summer uh, during college, and uh, my buddy was growing all these ridiculously hot peppers, getting all these hot sauces that you had to be 18 to buy. And like we just basically kept one-upping each other back and forth all summer long. And uh, came to this one hot sauce that you it comes with this little bullet casing attached to it. You unscrew the bullet casing, and inside there's this little tiny ladle that's big enough to basically hold like one drop. And uh, so uh, I took like five drops of that to start, which was already worse and, and more painful than anything else we tried to eat that was super hot, even like worse than some crazy, crazy hot peppers, like in, in their entirety or any other hot sauce. But I was like, okay, he's gonna, he's gonna beat that. He's gonna do more than five. So I, I had my buddy just like try to take the bottle and just pour out a little bit. Instead, hit the spoon and almost basically a full spoonful of this stuff comes out. And, uh, and so I try to, okay, I'm like, I gotta do it. It's out on the spoon. I'm, I'm gonna do it. And so without any food, without anything like that, I just take all this hot sauce, which like it, like one drop is supposed to be good for like, it's supposed to light up an entire vat of food, right? I take a spoonful of this stuff and I almost, you know, I'm like dying for a good 45 minutes. And by the time I get back down to normal, I like, we're playing pool and it hits somewhere inside me. And I literally dropped to my knees in pain. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so like I, you know it doesn't really get better from that point i i, I just have to like lay down i i managed to drive home i get in my you know i'm like staying with my, with my parents at the time from over the summer i'm in college like 20 years old um and i it, it, around two in the morning i have to crawl to my parents bedroom <laughs> and and basically halfway stand up and whisper that i think i need to go to the emergency room and by the time i get to the er I'm like convulsing, like in pain. Like I, I, I don't even know what's going on. Like I can't even do anything. So the, my, my mom tries to explain the doctor just looks at me like I'm just a complete idiot. And uh, they put me like, they make me chug this thing that deactivates my stomach acids. And then, uh, they, they put me on a morphine drip and I pass out and I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, I, my mom's like still by my bed and I'm just like, I'm so sorry i'm such an idiot oh my gosh <laughs> so needless to say i won the competition uh i, I came to closest death to, to death as possible and uh, my friend did not one up me uh in the eating hot foods category that summer <laughs> oh man that's that is that is wow that is brilliant <laughs> i don't think like i eat a lot of spicy food but like i don't think i've ever taken the time to test my spice tolerance my alcohol tolerance i have tested the spice one not so much so yeah that, is... that was the worst experience of my entire life but <laughs> hilarious looking back on it now for sure painful i mean imagine if you'd act like actually like hurt yourself for longer term like that would have been oh dude I, I had to be like on a special anti uh, anti-acid thing for like six weeks i basically <laughs> was <laughs> i could only eat bland foods like it was basically like wow crackers and wine it was bad <laughs>
Okay, well, this has been fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, just going to wrap up. If you can just give us a quick plug of where we can follow you and where we can find your work, and uh, we'll call it a stream. Sure, man. Well, thanks again for having me. This has been fun uh, talking about some serious stuff and not so serious stuff. But uh, again, Travis May at FF underscore Travis M on Twitter. Uh, Titan Travis on Clubhouse uh, started the uh, college football club on there. So we'll hopefully get a lot of stuff, uh, fun stuff going there this fall. Uh, but all my written work uh, over at rotoviz.com these days and uh, the College to Canton podcast, which you can find on that feed pretty much anywhere uh, for College to Canton. Um, or you can find that on Rotoviz Radio as well. But I uh, really appreciate it. It's been great.